Brenner's constitutively racist. It's a white supremacist state. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. This is a trigger warning. This episode at times contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by James Trafford, who is based at the University of the Creative Arts. James is author of The Empire at Home and is an interdisciplinary scholar of political philosophy, cultural studies, history. Honestly, this book, Empire at Home, guys, you know when Tiso and I have guests on, when we've read their books and we get really hyped, we're trying to sort of like roll back slightly and be contained. But this Empire at Home book, James's book, is absolutely phenomenal. It's super insightful. When you read it, it kind of, it's inspiring, man. So you read it and you're thinking, oh shit. One, it's the detail. The level of detail is insane. Historically, contemporaneously. So when we're talking about like, for example, the um, 2011 riots, mm. That's mad, some of the detail you go in. And that's in recent memory. And then when you go back to, say, the kind of post-war consensus stuff, the post-war, the detail talking about the bit, bits about the beverage report and all that kind of stuff, that kind of detail. When you read that book, you're thinking, it gives you a different understanding of the place where you live. Definitely. And just to be clear, mm. the title, the full title of the book is The Empire at Home, Internal Colonies and the End of Britain. I just want to read the titles of each of the chapters just to give the listeners a bit of a taster. Chapter one is called The Mouth of a Shark. Then there's Extractive Entanglements Across Alien Territories. Number three is Policing Empire After Empire. Number four is Homeland Warfare and Differential Racism. Number five, Extinction Politics. Number six, The End of Britain. James, that was a very long introduction. Me and Tisa have already got hyped and you haven't even said anything. So welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Um, we're, we're a nightmare, aren't we? Honestly. No, like... I'm loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> um, James, I guess it would be really good to start off the episode by just describing both how you came to write the book, but also just if you could give like a couple of sentences about what you think the book is about. I think this book was, was sort of percolating around for a long time. And I was looking, in the few years before writing this, I was looking at more standard um, political philosophy stuff. And I was looking at like reason and power and thinking a lot about race and racialization and neoliberalism and thinking about neoliberalism as a racialized power and that kind of thing. Um, Wait, James, sometimes yeah. I ask guests this and I'm really sorry, but I'm going to do it to you. It's fine. What is neoliberalism? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it only happens a few times a year. Okay. What is your definition of neoliberalism? Oh, uh, you know what? I think there's an. I have a big issue with the way that we think about neoliberalism, and I think this is because it looks like the kind of theory that says that um, it's like the tide that sinks all ships equally. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this idea that it's like the reduction of humans to capital, um, the the end of um, the end of, of that of like stratification and social stratifications along the lines of things like um, race and ethnicity and like everyone is treated the same as a, as a kind of um, adjunct to capital that can be kind of moved around in increasingly flexible ways and becomes kind of marketized in their very subjectivity right um, I think that that you know Foucault has something right when he He's making this argument that, that neoliberalism is very active. So the the state is not rolled back, but it's actively shaping markets. And and then I think that, so I have a problem with that up to the point where it, we, we think that maybe it's got rid of, of like racial, racial stratification and things like this, right? So I think if we if we look at neoliberalism more broadly in the, in the context of um, neo-imperialism and the way that... Um, economy and materiality and uh, social systems are stratified by um, race and the, pre- the practices of racialization. Um, this doesn't go away far from it. It's trans- transformed 
and it's obscured in different ways. Um, that's not a good definition. That is was it? a but good. De- that was a good definition. Mm. Yeah, right, you right. carry on telling us about the book now. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> why did I even count? So, so yeah, I was looking at. So I was li- okay, so I was looking at these kind of um, issues around, like thinking about, yeah, thinking about race, neoliberalism, power, and all all this kind of stuff, and that was just percolating around thinking about Britain and starting to become a, li- a little bit involved with um, uh, sort of Corbyn movements and things like that and becoming immediately dissatisfied with the way that I was um, seeing things like borders and um, migration particularly being treated as kind of issues that you can push to the back right so issue like there's a lot of strong strong people in those movements don't get me wrong that were were trying to bring those things to the forefront um and they did really good work and it's really important and i think actually that that shifted some hegemony around these things um which i think is great and around things like palestine as well right but they got continually shifted out so they would get maybe get voted through a conference but then they wouldn't make it to manifesto and things like this and then you got you get later on um, you know, we had people. Um, I think it was I think it was Vietnamese people who died in a frozen container. Yeah, yeah, container. Yeah, yeah. And then the next day, Diane Abbott is arguing for stronger controls and like better technology. Uh, and and it just didn't, you know, it just doesn't add up. And it really mm-hmm. frustrated me. And then at the same time, I'd or well, for a few years, I'd I'd um, not not done a lot of um, work with SOAS detainee support, but just been just been doing a little bit supporting um, migrants in detention, and I was just getting increasingly frustrated with that. The entire sort of practice around the way that we treat people in this country, and th- and then particularly this 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 uh, this one person who who became a friend, and I wrote a little bit about about them in in the book that, uh, with their permission. You know, who who had been basically who had been forced into a position where they were committing credit like card fraud, right? Because they'd they'd become an alcoholic and they'd like kind of got in with the wrong crowd, right? They went to prison for it, but because of the the law around um, offence and uh, and um, asylum, they 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 were they were transferred from prison into detention centre. And then they were they were effectively like up for deportation, and then um, and then they were appealing this. So they're appealing this through through a like a like a free um, legal service, which just didn't really do anything at all. And I and I went to meet them in in this um, in this room at Harmonsworth, and I wrote about that a little bit because um, <laughs> they just had that amazing echo with Wilson Shire's poem about the mouth of a shark. And when I got there, there's literally there's this mural of a shark, and this terrible like beaten up um, room, but where at the same time you have the most impassioned love. Um, of people meeting each other, haven't seen each other for a while, and are just and have no idea what's happening. These spaces that are so, so um, temporary on the one hand, but but also full of like stretched out time. You don't know what when anything is going to happen. You could be told you're going to be deported in a couple of days' time. Equally, you could be there for months and months. Um, so yeah, in a way, I got to, I got to know I got to know this guy, and he. He won his he won his appeal and was um, oh so he was going, he was, he he got probation actually because his cellmate um, said that he could live at uh, his mum's house <laughs> um, so he so he did and I visited him there and it was it was lovely and and he called it mom house and it was really amazing to see him in this space looked after and he's starting to he, he really wanted to play by the rules right he kept saying I'm going to get a job I'm going to do everything right. I'm gonna play by the rules, and then and then someone, some family member visited this 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 family, and they want they needed to stay there. I think they were slightly like worried about you know taking in this guy, and they didn't you know they didn't know who who he was too much and that kind of thing. And someone wanted to come and stay, and they needed his room, so he just got kicked out basically. Um, they've been very generous, right? So I don't you know I don't think there's any kind of fault, but at that point. I was out of the country, and at that point, he's calling me up and just saying, "What do I do?" 
And I was desperately just trying to put them in touch with people. So every system you might think is going to work, like citizens' advice and the council and the job center. And so we'd get them to go to the, so, you know, contacting the council and saying, we need, we need temporary housing. And then um, them saying, well, he has to sign on to get that. So then he would go to the job center and then say to them in advance, you need a Sri Lankan, uh, somebody who can speak Tamil, because he doesn't speak English very well. Mm. And that, that doesn't happen, of course, right? But he gets there and immediately they're asking him questions, suspicious questions um, that makes, and, and he just gets, he just gets anxious and runs, as you can imagine. So yeah, he, he spends like several days in the park, basically, um, until we can figure out what to do. We had this ridiculous situation where, you know, the, the sort of phone lines that he could ring would be on hold for ages because they're hugely underfunded. Um, so he'd be on hold for ages to try and speak to, to a Tamil interpreter um, or Tamil person on, in, in, in this like helpline and his phone would run out of battery and he's in a park and mm. what's he going to do? Um, you know, he could get some food at temple, but he wouldn't pray because he wasn't able to wash. Eventually he found someone who would just give him some cash to work in a, in a chicken shop and, and they gave him somewhere to stay for a bit. And actually we got him into a hostel um, before that. But there's all these systems like, you know, even with a hostel, you like this in itself is difficult because to get a, a place in a hostel, if you go there and you have some cash, it costs you twice as much as it does online. But how do you go online? <laughs> Um, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, so all these systems pinging around and like, even then he was taken back in and said, actually, we're going to deport you because we've appealed your appeal. And, and then he's still in this, in this sort of limbo mm -hmm. at this, even now. Is, where is he now? He's, he's, um, he's in, uh, Wembley and he's all right, but we don't know what's happening. Um, and we're still trying to kind of get him some support. There's some really good people around like, um, Bid, for example, who do amazing work, who are really, really helpful. Um, but again, like super underfunded, really, really difficult. So, you, so you, yeah, you know, I'm working on these things and I'm, and I'm kind of directly experiencing this engine of like Britishness and how this works in reality. Um, I so, that, yeah. I think that that anecdote is so important, James like backdrop to like reading the book because one of the things that really came through to me was like how much passion and love but also anger is within every page and it is at, it's really hard to like write like that when you don't feel like that do, do you know what i mean T? Yeah. that's what I, that's what came across to me I, so i guess you have to like, i think so when you turn that anecdote i was thinking in my head of i can never pronounce her name uh the maxwell Chip oh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, that's the one. So she's, she, no, no, but in terms, in terms of like bats around the state, like in terms of like, so she's someone who doesn't encounter the state. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now she's in the system, she's in the system and she's feeling the effects of the system and she's trying to get out of it and there's no one answering her calls. Even though she's put up 21 million for bail, it's not responding. And just just the same similar example to the, to that, to the Tamil guy you spoke, you're in the system, but the system designed in such a way that you don't get answers. For sure. But, and, but depending on where you are in that hierarchy, these people at the top don't usually feel that way uh -huh. about the system. So it's interesting that someone's encountered, but that's the kind they of power. Yeah. They would never encounter that. They, they would never encounter that. Never encounter and that, that, that feeling yeah. of helplessness in that in a system where it's meant, it says, it's, it, it, it says on the outside, I'm, I'm here to help you. Mm. And by all definitions, it has these tools or instruments to help but they're designed not to help. Mm -hmm. And I think- And weigh you down. And weigh you down. And it's kind of like, you kind of speak about this, but the idea of violence and slow violence, depending on your perspective, people don't see it as such. So people, people that tend to be at the bottom socially will see it as violence, but people who are at the top of a certain kind of mobility don't see it as- necessary. Yeah, they see it's it, necessary they see it as a order. functioning system. They see you have recourse to something. Yeah. So yeah. you're not you're not destitute. You have recourse to go to X or Y, but not really understand how X or Y functions. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I see my thinking. I think so. One of the things one of the things that I think was really interesting to me reading the book is something that I think we've tried to talk about a lot on the show um, in terms of um, Tiso and I's own relationship, like whether that's with our families. Um, or I lived experiences of like the welfare state 
And one of the things we've tried to do on this show is kind of complicate our relationship with the welfare state, but also try and remove our kind of romanticisation of it because I'll, I'll say stuff like, well, I wouldn't be sat in this room now if it wasn't for the welfare state, which is true. But what's the detail of that? The detail of that is that my family were recipients of the welfare state at the expense of others within the empire that look like me, but just didn't ha- don't happen to be mm. within the imperial core. And that's important, not because, not because it, it's important because it's part of the story and we're made to feel like we, well, not made to feel like, we, we kind of say, we perpetuate, even us as black people or like working class people, that the welfare state or that Britain's um, capacity to support everyone is universal but actually you need to understand that within the context of the empire and why that is made possible. And when I come now coming on to James's book is that James's book it doesn't it doesn't it tells me to think even deeper and even kind of go back to where I was before in understanding my my experiences or the working class experiences of Britain as an empire at home. So like Yes, it's important to recognise why, who, at what expense am I able to have, my mum's able to get money to buy us food or we're able to get social housing. Whose expense is that? Where has that been extracted from? Where's that money come from? That's come from the empire. But actually, where we're located in our council housing, on the periphery of Medway Towns, amongst like people that are destitute that are really struggling away from the wealthy that in itself needs to be understood within that context of empire as well that's yeah, what yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, came yeah, yeah. that's what came through in reading the book like it brought me right back to that point of understand of 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 the lived experience of accessing welfare like actually even though i'm i'm grateful to have had that it was it was it's part it's still part of a mechanism of exploitation that you yeah. kind of don't really deep because you're just you just feel grateful to have it. But you see, that's what I'm saying. So that's what I was trying to say. You're part of it, actually. You don't necessarily perceive it as such. So you don't perceive uh, this is a colonial place, mm. even though there's the same. You can see the same logics at play. You see it as part of this is this is how it just is, right? And then when people make claims of universality, that that's what the claim is, and you understand it as such. You don't you don't try to deep it. You mm. understand that I do have access to this thing. Don't ask the question who who is it for or for whom. You just understand it as universal. Because for example, when you talk about rights, you don't say rights for whom. You just mm, understand mm, the word rights or mm. justice. You understand the terms as in their pure abstract form, mm. rather than deepen it like we should do. Mm. If you you'd be depressed all the time if you did deepen it. Definitely. And just one more point on that, T, is that, and again, this relates to what James is saying in the book. The fact of giving us as children of empire families of empire council housing social housing within certain parts of england that in itself is a colonial mechanism and honestly like i just hadn't really thought about it like that until reading this book that's why when i messaged james like a couple of days ago before he's coming on like oh my days like i just feel like i've had another epiphany yeah i'm reading your book like the concept the idea that like t- to end Britain, when the, the, could you explain that? Unpack it a bit, and then try to explain where, you, where that came from. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's a, it takes. There's a long route to that. Yeah, yeah. it's gone. Um, go on the route. Go on the route. <laughs> it's gone the route. Um, I mean, there's quite a lot. There's quite a lot, right? So, part of the route here is to think about Britain in a different way from the outset, right? So we're not thinking about Britain as an island. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a collection of islands, actually, but we, we normally just pretend it's one. Um, we're thinking about Britain as, as a colonial structure from the first um, from the first place, from the get-go. Um, and even now, I think it's important to look at Britain as this kind of machine, this, this sort of near-imperial and colonial machine that stretches, right? Um, so we're thinking, we're talking about... Um, bordering and borders we've also got to talk about how we are engaged in bordering practices through like africa um through uh, libya through you know the edges of europe all of this um and it's important to see that britain i think has never been kind of kind of 
simply simply uh, like an identified with with like the national boundary right or like the island shores let's just let's just call it this mm. which is of course like essentially what people mean when they say when they say britain when we're talking about people like uh enoch powell or like farage we're talking about englishness really mm-hmm. and we're talking about like usually usually like the the, the straits of dover or something and and that everything kind of inside which you know we've seen in the past few weeks um how dangerous this is um so there's nothing we need to denaturalize that from the start so we need to think about britain as now uh, like as a as a colonial um nation i mean slightly polemically i say britain is a colony but do you think sorry do you no. think that certain people do think like that so when you're talking about like the kind of the, the territorial extent of what britain is I think there's I think there's a group of people like the so-called elite. They do see that because they go to mm. uh, the Middle East. They speak in Africa when they go to like you mentioned a little bit about Mozambique. When they go to these places, they still see it as part of, or have relations with the empire. Yeah, there's yeah. a section of people, the working classes, I would argue, that they see Britain within its that's kind of the island shore bit. Yes, yeah. at Nigel Farage. Totally. Talks to. But the upper classes speak in terms of the kind of international reach of Britain. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think um I think what we've what I'm trying to get to, and it's and it's and it's slightly I think I find it myself like quite complicated. But I'm trying to use this idea of what I'm calling the post-colonial cut <laughs> in the book. <laughs> and I'm finding this very much in in like Powell's work. Why am I calling it work? I don't even know. Um <laughs> Enoch Powell's hate. Yes. <laughs> Enoch Powell's project. The Enoch project, Powell's yeah. Ongoing legacy in Britain. Yeah, and I think and I think it's really important when we talk about Powell to say, um I have got this quote in a book, I can't remember who said it, um, that he became a political party in his own right. It was like even though the, the Tories even at the time abjured what Powell is saying, that that is so hegemonic. Mm-hmm. Um, those ways of thinking about about like um, purity of the nation, the swamping, which obviously Thatcher's taken up, um, the threat from the outside, the invisible enemy, all of this kind of stuff. I mean, look at that through um, counterterrorism and everything, mm-hmm. right? This is pervasive. Um, so in terms of thinking about what Britain is, like for Powell, he he obviously was heavily involved in, in empire. You know this 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 idea that we have this relationship now that we have quite it's quite kind of almost common sense like some you know this morning style understanding like there's a kind of nostalgia uh, around empire but there's also like a total denial of what empire's realities were yes and i think part of understanding this has got to be about the way that we understand britishness as some substance almost some kind of like like set of values we talk about british values um but something more than that something like something almost almost you know almost with with like substance that britishness is something and that that core of britishness was preserved all the way through empire powell was powell was like you know hit part of his arg his 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 kind of position on this was like we were lucky actually that we didn't lose that and now we've got to cut this tie and then get on with with um, being, white. being white British, right? Like refounding the white British nation. And that's what that whole project is about. But that, of course, like ties into the stuff we've been talking about with welfare, um, the, the kind of um, rebuilding the white British stock and all that kind of stuff, right? That Robbie Shilliam talks about a lot. The the tension though with, with Powell's project, and I don't think this is a tension which you can get rid of. And I think it's super important because actually it's a tension that's always there through empire as well. Is that you? Depending on the people that you're trying to um, purify from, and we're and you're absolutely dependent upon um, those people inside the British state after the formal end of of um, colony through the Commonwealth and stuff like this. I mean, actually, through still in in in, in colonies in because what um, Jamaica's only uh, independent in '62, right? Mm. Um, so you know. And that, this is, but, yeah. but James, can I just come in here? Because I feel like we do talk about this on the show quite a lot. And because I'm such a literal person, this is something that I really struggle with, with these fascists. And it, because 
you want to preserve the white British stock, but you can't do that if you want to live your if you want to live live your lavish capitalist yeah. life. Yeah. So what? But this what, is. I mean, this just is, doesn't make sense. It's not a rational position. Though. It's not a rational position because, and it's. The, I think you can relate it to other kind of um, nationalist movements like Brexit. Like actually, when it comes down to it, you need you do need these people that yeah. you're demon that I you're think... demonising that you're marginalising. So go on, carry on. No, I'm just I'm just sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, no. But <laughs> I just thinking, you know, I think what's super important here is that I don't think we can think about that like slavery and colonialism and empire. They're not just economic systems. Um, the violence that that we and other and other people do. The, the violence of those systems is not reducible to economics. Uh, no. It's just it's, and I think this this has to be understood. Um, I think they are the start of like this is where capitalism um, is is formed and shaped, and that's those structures are preserved and retained. And this is something that I'm talking about quite a lot in the book around like hyper exploitation and things like that, and um, housing and that kind of stuff. Um, but you don't. You know, we don't have this this situation where you, you know the plantation in Barbados, where you're euphemistically replenishing the slave population every few years because of the, the ritual humiliation, torture, and and killing. Um, you don't have the Mau Mau. Um, you don't have the Jallianwala Park. <laughs> you don't have you know like the British were shooting people out of cannons uh, to, to, as a form of of like. Um, uh, corporal punishment, right? This this isn't just about um, economy. This isn't just about building up our wealth. This is this is like this is a project through which we build what it means to be white British and through what it means to 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 be like the rightful possessors of this earth. See, that's it. That's it. That's it. I was I was, was going to say, but a good example now, if to kind of if, if for a modern example, kind of is look at America. Currently, America. If I said to you, how many wars are America engaged in? Legally, it's zero. America hasn't been in war since 1942, yeah. right? Yeah. But it actually engaged the ones, but recognized by the body by Congress is seven. By some some counts, fifteen. So they're involved in fifteen different arenas, doing all the things that you just spoke about. However, they still have managed to do what what we're what you speak about in the book, that post-colonial cut, that separation mm. from the violence that they're doing to maintain their position. They spend more than the next eleven countries in the world on military weapons to maintain that oppression. But yet, Americans don't see themselves as violent people. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same with, so with Britain. We don't see themselves as racist or violent because there's this this, this separation. Well, we see, I see them as well, that. I know, but I'm saying, but, <laughs> but, but we have this separation. But no, so, the, so the question is, America's doing this right now. Yeah. Britain has done it over time. So there's there seems to be, as you kind of allude to in your book, a mechanism through doing this. And that's what I think you're Den kind of denying it. And you're, then you're, you kind of tease out this process of going through and even though these things are happening. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like you kind of tease out and show you like, like how they how you make that switch. And that's that's a big switch because that's going on mm. right now. Like I said to you, if I ask people how many wars in America, they'll say zero. There's there's a you know, there's the um, I can't remember the exact period of time. So any historians listening are going to realize I'm not really a historian. <laughs> but there's like this part that's like nearly. Um, isn't that like nearly a hundred years mm -hmm. where it's called like the century of peace or something, isn't mm -hmm. it? But there's like, there's no point in that century where there's not a colonial war happening. Mm -hmm. um, so there's exactly, it's exactly the same, mm -hmm. the same thing. And I think, you know, part of this is, is about, part of this is, the, is about the way this, these things are justified. Um, but also, you know, like we were talking about with um, Locke before we were recording, mm -hmm. This is John Locke. John Locke, sorry. Um, there's this idea that there's a not just a God-given right to um, to to like to, to go to, to the Americas and, and um, you know commit genocide and expropriate land, but it's it's there's a compulsion, like it's required. It's, it's a requirement on you um, to to uh, develop and improve what is. Um, seen as like the state of nature or that that is so it's no longer wasted and it can be cultivated um and i think that that kind of relationship with, between um 
the, the the start of the way that we build up those like liberal values of like fairness and rights and lawfulness from the beginning that's 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 developed in relation to those who fall outside of that and it's developed in relation often in in, in terms of this idea abstract idea of the state of nature um so you get it in like kant and hegel um who talk about africans as not being possibly like not possibly being being brought into um culture into civil society right so they're like perpetually in this state of nature so they form a perpetual threat to the peace of civil society and so you get like the the civil society is is, is formed through the like warding off of those who are seen as as kind of naturally its enemies mm. i think James, honestly, like, I'm not just saying this. I feel like I've had, like, another epiphany on this stuff now mm. because I feel like constantly I'm always asking that question, like, why do they do this or why do they say this or why are they pushing this stuff? Because it doesn't make sense because it's not going to improve anyone's material conditions, even the, like, elite. So why are they doing this? That isn't the question. That, that can't be the question. As you said, it's not about economics. It's about something so much more than that. Like... That isn't the question. These people, and I'll tell you an example it reminds me of. Like, go back to, I feel like we go back to this episode all the time. But the episode we did after 2019, the day after the 2019 general election, obviously, we all know what happened. Um, the Conservative Party win a landslide, etc. And it was a tough day. It was a really <laughs> tough day. And we all come back to this day all the time because what it showed to us is that it doesn't matter if Jeremy Corbyn stands there and tells you that your healthcare, your income, everything for the masses that is going to be affected by voting in these people. Like it doesn't matter if he tells you that that your that your child is going to suffer, that your uncle is going to suffer. Like even if you bring it as as close intimate as that, there is something else about Britain that makes the that makes the the drive or the lunge towards nationalism towards hate towards marginality towards all this stuff even if it affects you and your those close to you yeah. that people are invested in and this goes back to what yeah i think mm. what you were just talking about there james and i think that's the epiphany that i've had like the, the question is stop asking what why are these people doing this if I can't see what benefit they're going to get from that, because actually the benefit is something, the benefit that they see is something much more pernicious. And that benefit is that it isn't, there isn't actually a benefit. It's like a spiritual, yeah. like nationalist. It's not, it's something as you were just describing, like this core, it's, it's a, a British thing. It's almost philosophical, right? Yeah. So you have a question that's philosophical. It's this idea of Britishness, this concept, this idea that you're trying to get rid of, like how, what does that even mean? Like, that's what I'm trying to kind of teach and I'm, and I'm applying, but what I've been doing mm. and what James is telling me not to do is I'm applying, mm. and you were saying this earlier before we recorded, I keep trying to apply rationality to the hate. You've got to, it's it's no, no. not about that, isn't it? Like I've got to stop doing, mm. I've got to stop applying like mm. liberalism mm. to why they do what they do. Why <laughs> yeah. does Pretty Patel think it's okay for um, people to drown in the mess? Well, I mean, there are like, economic reasons as well though, right? Yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. of course. But, but, I, but I don't you've got to think more, haven't you? Yeah. 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 But this is the thing. So if it's a if it's a philosophical concept, right? If we're not almost, but what we're trying to get at, what we're trying to tease at, the concept of Britain, then how how would you try to break that apart? How do you try? And you kind of move. You kind of talk about it towards the end of the kind of book where you're talking about movements of kind of anti-colonial movements or uh, reforming the colony or mm. those kind of talk. But how would you get? How do you get at something that's Again, a, a concept, a abstract idea that's made up yeah. of bits over time. Yeah. So this is actually kind of coming back to the question you asked. I don't think I got to the answer, mm -hmm. though. But because mm -hmm. um, it's it's probably worth saying that the idea of internal um, colony is coming through uh, like mid middle twentieth century Southern America, mm. um, and then it's taken up also by the Panthers, right? And we're talking about the nation within a nation. Mm -hmm. And it's very much concentrated around the idea of the things like the ghetto. So things like spatial spatial um, separation is quite important. And I come back to this later in the book, thinking about um, 
what it might mean then what do we do because i'm because i'm because i'm looking at britain in a very different way i should i should say but it's probably kind of obvious already but it's, i should say so in terms of things like segregation i think we need to understand segregation but it's very is very distinct in many ways to the ideas of things like ghettoization that we might associate with um the us or um or palestine or wherever and and i think we need to understand what I'm calling distributive um, segregation or apartheid. I think in the book, mm. and and like flexible forms of control, um, and the way that we kind of move around in different ways, like past one another, um, but in but in but in kind of very different ways in terms of the way we're policed, but also the way that we we kind of access um, urban spaces, environment, all, the, all this kind of stuff, um, but also all, all the kind of social systems and structures. That we need to, um, and this this makes it difficult to look at the solutions to internal colonization in the same way that that maybe um, some people have done in terms of the U.S. Right. So part it's quite interesting because like one of the one of the guys who started to talk about this a lot, I think it's called Robert Blauner, and um, he recanted this. Uh, idea later on because he said that um, in the, and he's talking about the states and he said well we can't get rid of the um, the colonizer <laughs> um, sadly I think from the states right in, in the same way that maybe he's thinking happened through formal decolonization mm. elsewhere right I think there's a problem with that already because actually let's look at formal decolonization and think about how those projects have been absolutely kind of hamstrung by um, near imperialism and the the remains of um, colonizers in, in places like Mozambique, I think his his position on this is kind of problematic because like the Panthers were certainly not insular in any way. Like this was this was like heavily linked to things like Pan Africanism and Garveyism <laughs> and things like that, right? So anyway, there's some issues with that, but I don't think it works too well in terms of thinking about Britain because we don't have we don't have these these kind of you know the separations and the hierarchy and things is a lot more diffuse and it's a lot more more it's difficult to spot i guess um possibly in different ways so things like racial redlining and housing and stuff which happened a lot in in britain um maybe doesn't happen in the same way um but certainly doesn't happen in in as explicit or kind of consolidated way that it might do in the states yeah but things like that we've got to think differently about how you know part of part of the book i'm talking about how we all become kind of border guards almost right and how these things are so diffuse um in terms of how you access in healthcare and all that kind of stuff right so yeah all right so then i'm so i'm looking at that and thinking well this 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 isn't going to work for us and we need to think about what what that might mean i also find problematic calls for decolonization that become quickly detoothed and kind of bureaucratized, if that's a word. Um, I think there's some really good work around decolonizing the university, like Gaminda and, and, and Bambra has done really good work on this. Um, but the, my experience of those things in the university is like, um, it is pretty awful. Um, so I think there's problems with that. And I think we need to look at the, the, we need to be really careful about understanding what the colonial situation is in order to try and think about how we um, undermine it and move against it. So then obviously the other thing that I look at is, is stuff around um, the idea of like inclusion and exclusion. So we're using the liberal categories of recognition and things like this, representation. And of course, I think we're all used to these being problems now. I think this this is, you know, we've had enough um, criticism of that um, to kind of understand why these things are an issue. And I think what I'm trying to do at that point is then think, well, okay, why, if we could, what, what would it mean to, um, what would it mean to then decolonize? Like, if you think about Britain as a colony, the idea of reform is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, which, you know, it just falls away, right? I've just got like burn it all in my head. But that's sorry. You know, sorry right? I just thinking, <laughs> you know I'm just thinking of Franz Fanon right now as James is talking like that's the only option. Well you can see Fanon is threaded through this. But yeah. I think one of the problems again, and I think it's quite instructive to look at it in America's America as well, is that Britain from its very basis, from its very inception, is very ambigu ambiguous. So we don't have a written constitution. So it's, things mm. are not clear. 
This yeah. is the whole point, yeah, yeah. right? Whereas America, written constitution, everything's clear. The racism's clear. Everything's <laughs> very clear. You know where you stand. But here, this is one of the problems, and it's fundamentally it's something inbuilt into the system. It's this fogginess. And trying to unpick this fogginess, we have to understand wherever you are unpicking, you are unpicking it from the time you're, you're in. So we're embedded in this, in this tradition, right? So we're still trying to unpick something that we're not quite sure where the boundaries are. So how do you start doing, start unpicking fog? And I think this is the situation we find ourselves in. We, your book teases out some really important bits and processes and what, how, it, how, how, this, how this fog coalesces and manifests itself. But it, again, it's always shifting. And it's this diffuseness that makes it so difficult to kind of pin down. I, so I'm, I'm really, um, I would like, at least I would say that I'm really good friends with um, Sahema Manzo Khan, who's amazing and you should go on. You, you notice as well, like, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm using um, the work of quite a few poets <laughs> the, the, as an epigraph, I guess, to, some, to all the chapters, um, but also as a way of thinking with, um, people who are exploring this stuff in a different way, and there's. Jack, yeah. can I just say before you read your quote, and I'm going to embarrass you, but you're like an artist. Like seeing this, don't you think, T? Like yeah. the way he writes about the stuff that we talk about all the time. He's like presented it in like. An I'm, art I'm trying to think of ways to do my PhD. Yeah, I know. Literally, like it's such a, <laughs> it's mm. such, it's, and it's such a, it's such a resistance form of writing about this stuff to how we are told to within the academy and I think that's one of the reasons why Tiso and I loved it so much is because it's something that it's a type of knowledge production it's a type of expressing history that is not done in a way that is necessarily or, like I don't want to I don't want to say I don't want to say I think it's incredibly valuable but some people be like why are you written it like this and that's like but I think that in itself is a kind of resistance and anyway no I, no, I really appreciate that um, and there's this, it's intentional. Um, there's some bits of uh, Edouard Glisson at the beginning that I mentioned, <laughs> and, and I really wanted to try and approach things um, without, you know, without like resolution. Yeah. Um, because this, this is what we're taught is to try and make an argument that has like logical form of resolution. So questions, man. Um, <laughs> the question, well, questions, 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 like, questions, man. This George what, always I mean, gets really annoyed at us because we're too so we're not into answers. Questions. Well, it is questions. so, isn't it? And yeah. it's like, why are, you, why are you doing the research that you're doing? It's like, I, I was, like, as you say, I was pissed off mm. and I wanted to figure out what was going on. Mm. And it's like, you know, otherwise, um, if you're just doing this as a kind of academic endeavor, I don't really understand. Um, well, this is what I tend to find some certain PhD students when they talk about it, it's not because they were kind of motivated. I introduced my kind of PhD presentation on the fact that why am I doing it? Because it matters to me, man. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, people. yeah, I'm telling you, it's the truth, man. Like what matters? This is the truth yeah. for me, and like this is it's that's why it's important. And from that animus that comes, like that kind of bias. If you yeah. can hold that bias, I think that's 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 the part of research, right? That's why we do things. When someone has it, takes a kind of thing abstractly and tries to talk of it in terms of objective terms, I don't, I don't, doesn't, doesn't really. Yeah, and I think, I think, I'm hoping that this is shifting. And I think, I mean, there's obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I appreciate you saying this, but obviously, this is building on a lot of, um, well, it's like trying to think with a lot of other people. James, like, we but know like, this, but this is your this is your episode. Yeah, all right, We're all right. up James let's, today. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> but let's also let's also also let's also just mention like Saida Hartman and mm -hmm. Christina Sharp and Sylvia Winter yeah, and Hortense yeah. Spillers and yeah. Ronaldo yeah. Walcott and and too many other people. Kaguro Manchura. It's mm. all, you know. but it's all just, so well weaved through the whole book. Right, you're gonna read your quote now. Yeah, so I just wanted to, I think. One thing that I was really, you know, I, so Sahema, I, I, you know, is an amazing um, writer. And there was this quote from her that I put in and and tried to like figure out kind of what was going on. So like from this poem called British Values, which is lovely in itself, right? Um, so Britain is Bismillah, Britain is Basmati Rice, Britain is Box Braids and Black Barber Shops, Bollywood and Bangra. And I think if you if you look at that and you read it in the first place, then maybe you start looking at it through the lens of like liberal inclusion, and then it's like, well, this is this is a kind of claim that a racialized minority has has been included. We should expand what it means to be British, um, or and, and British values. So we think about like, and I think this is the wrong reading, right? Because of what comes later. Um, so so that that, and I think what's really important to me is that that kind of approach 
is about making good with a racist state. Britain is constitutively racist. It's a white supremacist state. This is so important because we, we then need to think about the ways that we do, you know, the ways that we encounter things like, like, like I think a really important question to ask is, where, where, is the, where are the things that we do that are about things like harm reduction, for example? You know, how far are they also a form of counterinsurgency? And this is, a, I think, a very difficult question, but one that's, that I, I think is really useful to orient ourselves around. Um, so you could read that bit of the poem and think, well, this is about like a, a kind of universal Britishness. We're just expanding it out a little bit. And, you know, you see this flip-flop around humanitarian arguments. So we'll have some people dying in their channel and there'll be a, a sort of liberal humanitarian response on the one hand and then there'll be other people who are actively cheering us on. And then, then and I think we need to see these things as two sides of the same coin because they both, they both um, consolidate the national container as the political vehicle, right? So we are being, like some people, we're being nice to people and like, mor like morally we're, you know, we're good and we're allowing people to, to, to seek asylum in our country. And it's just the, that framework breaks down so quickly because it, it very quickly just flip-flops into um, we've got too many people here and, you know, all these kind of arguments, right? Um, so then, so that, anyway, in the poem itself, that, that kind of reading is immediately ruined um, by, by um, Sahema carrying on, the, the sugar and tea had strings attached. Britain is the terror to be countered. Um, and that, and here, what what we get to is this idea of, of Britain that I, that I'm trying to tease out in the book, which is which is both this kind of existential horizon and like fantasy ethno state, but also this like massive machinery that um, that is that that's very much in this in the, the colonial present through through that becomes essentially like a kind of counterinsurgency operation in itself, right? And, I, and and when I argue that, it's partly polemical, obviously, but I, but I think there's, a, there's, there's something to that, right? Um, and I think when we, what we need to think about there is like, who's the counterinsurgency against? Because this insurgent is fabricated at every point and is necessarily fabricated because it's, it's part and parcel with the project of what Britishness is. It's that production of the other as the as the um as the exterior, that to be feared, that that we have to guard against. And that's what gives coherence to Britishness, to to like these uh, these ideas of um of of like sovereignty and and why we we it's okay to use violence that we we're talking about earlier on. Um so yeah, and then and then later on she 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 says and I really love this. Um, she says that you'd be left with the fact that I'm inside. I am Britain now. And this is so powerful. This is like the end of Britain is already here. It's already practiced. Um, and I think we've got a, one, you know, one thing about people like, you know, like SOAS Detainee Support and groups like Sister Uncut and, and so many others, Dogs Not Cops, all the, all the like anti-prevent stuff. There's so many people, um, pal action, um, you know, that are actively practicing the end, of the end of Britain already. And I think that's, that's, that's the important thing. Um, that's the important thing for me. And I think, and necessarily then, you know, Abolition, just as it is in, when we're talking about abolition of the police, abolition is necessarily not something that can be calculated in advance, and it's something that begins with with acts of insurgent care, and it requires we need to think about that process as, as a kind of an, an abolitionary process, I think, rather than like just abolition. It's it's ongoing. It requires because um, you know the the state and the police will refound themselves. They they will do everything they can. To continually remake themselves and reform that power. When I tend to think of Britishness and that machine, I tend to think of it as in the sense that it sees itself in the long line of like Western Western empires, right? So when it says a term the term citizen, there's a hierarchy to citizen, just like yeah, there was in yeah. Rome. It might be an inclusive, like there might be other parts, other people in that empire, but there's a hierarchy to this empire. And this is, and that machine replicates itself. So when we, when they expanded Britishness to be inclusive of ethnic minorities that came over po post, uh, post Windrush, 
we stretch the term, but you understand where you sit in that hierarchy. Yeah. And it's it's that notion that maintains itself and replicates itself all the time because it measures itself against other empires in the past. So the Ottoman Empire was inclusive, but there was a hierarchy. The early Muslim empire, the Umayyad empire was hierarchical. Arabs at the top, everyone else, you might be a Muslim, but you're at the bottom still. There's a hierarchy. And this British empire, which is reflected internally, maintains that same system. We have the elite at the top, so-called elite, sorry, at the top, and everyone else still follows. But we can we can broaden that spectrum of inclusivity. However, it's it's patterned on that same notion of empire. Yeah, I think there's something to that, for sure. I think James disagree with him. We do it all the well, time. I do it all the time. Like this is this is this is this I mean, is a debate and forum. Yeah, yeah. I think I can see what's a disagreement. I, I do. <laughs> I, I do want to. But I mean, go, go, yes, go, 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 go. This isn't really stuff that's in the book though either. But um, there's something about um, British empire well i think i mean slavery right mm. you have this idea fairly popular every time anyone brings up slavery on the internet there's <laughs> someone who's like romans have slaves it's true yeah. it's true this is, this is i'm sorry but like there is not an analogy and i think frank you know frank wilderson actually is um who i i actually think there's a lot of really important work and in Wilderson's work, and I know people, it's a touch point of disagreement for people, right? It's but Afro pessimist um, people. No, to be yeah. fair, do you know, like Alana's, like, in Alana's book, Why yeah. Wrestle Matters, she like like engages, I think, really in a meaningful way with um, Frank Wilderson's work. Obviously, disagrees, but like, yeah, anyway. No, I think that's a good point because I think there's so much critique of Afro pessimism as um, caricature, and I find that really problematic. And I And it makes me wonder, you know, why. Why? Why? Why are people so vehement about this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get into a whole thing about. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I think. Um, but I think one of the things you're saying here, James, I think is really important, and it reminds me of um, Satnam Verdi. Some, some things that Satnam Verdi talks about as well is that, like, when we try and make equivalences to the racism of Britain and thinking about slavery as well. Yeah. It, it it's, you just can't do it like the levels are just so extreme like it's really hard i see what you're it's saying also, it's like it's about like but like is in our we we constantly want to make make something make relational to britain or make an analogy yeah. but actually like that in itself is still doing the power of what britain, right, right. britain is like actually we do need to exceptionalize this perhaps i think we do and i think this so the thing about wilderson i was going to make is the ruse of analogy which I think is really powerful, right? And I think part of the, for me, and I don't know if this is Afro-pessimism at all, um, I'm more getting this through like Ronaldo uh, Walcott's work, which I would highly recommend. Um, so there's something, there's something fundamental about the way that we build the, what we understand as like liberal capitalism or like the, you know, the, the, the kind of, era of capitalism whatever you want to call this that world that we build that we that we create around um ideas of civility civil society property freedom all of that world is created through and against um the slave and the indigenous other um there's no way of making that cohere without without that project and i think that's what's maybe one of the things why this this kind of um doesn't um doesn't work to analogize it to other things right um so for example on if you think about um what happened on barbados um in the early 1600s right so you've got um irish indentured servants other indentured servants and then you, you also have the british after I think uh, Portugal um, starting to plan and having like fairly small plantations, but then uh, as, as it develops towards um, a sugar island, um, increasingly bringing bringing um, slaves um, from Africa, right, and that and to the point where where you you um, you get slaves outnumbering uh, white people hugely over a really short period of time. Um, and and what happens then is like this shift where 
I, I don't want to say like black people become black or white people become white, but like whiteness is consolidated insofar as the indentured servants are both conscripted as police, so to police the black slaves, and to be possibly to, to become at the end of the contract, say, part of the uh, property owning um, class and part of um, kind of civil society and things like that. But even before that, you know, like the in, in like an Irish indentured, indentured servant would would, in theory at least, have the ability to um, appeal or, or, or go to um, English courts over their treatment. Whereas, of course, it's not it's not um, possible for uh, a black slave, right? But those 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 um those distinctions get kind of consolidated in the slave codes, and and that and it consolidates um in the same moment it consolidates um what we mean by by like sociality, like what it means to be in that society. So you, of course, you have class problems and class structures and the the planters of the elite, um, but. The, the, but white people who aren't in that elite, they're conscripted to uphold possession of slaves, whether they own slaves or not. And that might be, I think, not a direct quote from Ronaldo Walcott, uh, but like near enough. Um, and I think this is really important. And that's where I think those kind of analogies that's start Brit to break that's down. Brit that's Britain. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Britain, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it's so depressive. Like, as in, like you said, you want to end on the. No, on I know, side. but like that's so powerful. Like, obviously, like I know that history of Barbados, mm -hmm. but like hearing you break it down like that, I'm just thinking. I'm going back to my point earlier in the episode, like thinking about being in the social housing in Medway towns, and like, like the racism amongst my like work, other working class and white families of us being there, and like. That it, but it's part of that policing, isn't it? Like yeah. we're 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 it's a, we're fighting for scraps because they've they've given some some very 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 small ideological power to yeah. a certain group yeah, yeah. within a group that is marginalised. It is. It, I just feel like I just it just reminded me of like what we've been talking about the yeah, whole show totally, basically. Totally. But when I say when I was using those analogies from the past, I'm not saying the analogy is to say what I'm trying to t draw out is that those technologies. Are present, mm, yeah, yeah, and they're ever present. So, when when you look at the Roman, it's the same thing. They had that same issue with Romans, Italians, and Latins. So Romans had all the rights, but the Italians and and Latins would fight for them, but they had no rights. And then Rome would start giving out rights when they felt they felt they could bring 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 them on board, just like with the Barbadian situation, where you can strip lower class whites into this thing. You have a similar similar process in Virginia and America with Bacon's Rebellion, right? Oh yeah. So you have a similar kind of way. So these technologies are there, and it it seems to be. I don't know if it's if it's a, if it sits philosophically within the European <laughs> European mindset. I don't know where they come from, but it sits there. So these technologies have been built up built on over time, and what your book teases out excellently is how these these technologies are kind of diffuse and they're at work all the time, mm -hmm. and it's trying to spot these things and see this. And I think that book does it really well. So there's a couple of things I maybe I mean I, yeah I don't know how optimistic I am about Britain let's face it but um, you at the beginning of the book you've got for those who struggle under under cover of darkness yeah so this is and this is um, from Abdul Malik Simone uh, which is a quote so I'm, yeah I'm kind of picking up on that and absolutely I think one of the things that we we're saying earlier about Britain already like the end of Britain already been practiced. And those spaces in which that happens and that kind of um, struggle, which is um, not made explicit. I think one thing that I'd hope people might come away from reading the book with is an idea of maybe maybe hopefulness simply because of solidarity. Um, because in in kind of rooting things in 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 this way in terms of colonialism i think it brings a lot of stuff together that we might not necessarily bring together immediately so we're looking at things like anti-police movements and um stuff around like anti anti uh, migration the solidarity with palestine all of this kind of stuff um there's a there's a common route um and i think hopefully bringing bringing these things into the same sort of domain and seeing those links and that um that kind of solidarity is important and i think you know one thing that's worth saying is is like 
it looks like a, such a monolithic, um, like an absolute monolith of power. And of course, it, this, this is right, but it requires like massive, massive strain and massive machinery to reproduce itself constantly. The way that we're kind of conscripted into this, the way that we um, also uh, kind of keep things turning over and things like that, it requires huge amounts of work. Um, to to con to continue these systems, and there are always places um, that you know places of. I like this idea of insurgent care, um, these practices of, of care that don't fit, um, that don't um, that don't try and make good with a racist state. I think, and I think that's the that's the important place to begin. Brilliant, <laughs> powerful. Very powerful words to end on there, James. Thank you so much for joining us um, on the show. Um, listeners, um, if you head over to Patreon now, we'll have another episode for you. James, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 